Welcome back to Choose to Change. This is episode four. Today we've got Niall Minelli on the podcast. He's a counsellor and psychotherapist and with almost a decade in experience in the fitness and lifestyle industry. He's going to be talking a little bit about what it's like uh, when he's moved from the fitness and lifestyle industry into the mental health industry, um, what it's like in Ireland to deal with mental health and how fitness, lifestyle and nutrition all coincide to bring that together towards mental health. Well, Niall, welcome to the Choose to Change podcast. We're very excited to have you with us today. Um, it's such a thrill for, for us to have you on. Uh, you're, we've probably torn you away from the DIY fun of baby-proofing your house for your impending new arrival, have we? Yeah, exactly, yeah. No, look, I appreciate uh, you guys asking. And uh, yeah, look, I'm grateful to have the opportunity to, uh, yeah, to answer a few questions and to share a few knowledge bombs, hopefully. Good, good. Well, I guess to kick things off, um, you have a fairly unique position of having had years of experience in the fitness, indus- fitness industry to begin with. Mm-hmm. And, you know, along with that, being a part of positively impacting people's health, fitness and happiness. Mm-hmm. And then more recently, you moved into another area of health equally as important, if not more, which is mental health. Yeah. So now tell us a bit more about your background, how you got into training in the fitness industry, and then what prompted the move into the area of mental health? Um, God, how long do you have? Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so basically, I was in the fitness industry for between about eight and nine years. Uh, we cl- close to about nine years. And um, I originally got into it. Because I was an electrician at the time, and uh, we hit a recession. And I was finding it very, I was struggling uh, hard to find work um, as an electrician. And I was going to the gym on the days that I, I didn't have work. I was going to the gym. And because my brother, Dominic, um, it, at the time was like one of the leading um, uh, personal trainers in the country, a lot of people in the gym started asking me questions. And I, I had a very good knowledge um, of uh, the, the gym equipment um, exercises from Dominic. So people would come up and ask me for advice. Oh, will you ask Dominic this? Will you ask Dominic that? And I was thinking, but well, hang on here. Like, you know, if I'm giving out this advice and I know all of this advice and years of asking Dominic these questions, well, you know, and I seem to, to understand it to a degree where I can demonstrate it and I seem to yeah. be able to, they, 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 they can understand what I'm talking about when I'm explaining it. So I kind of said, well, I'm out of a job, but now my other job is kind of like teaching people, you know, um, stuff in the gym. So I kind of looked into basically going back and uh, get my qualifications, went back, got my qualifications. Um, I had two options. I was either going to go to Canada and set up a CrossFit gym in Canada, um, or I was going to stay in Ireland. And I just basically asked my brother, you know, you know, would it be... Um, advisable for me to stay around here and like set up a gym and he kind of gave me the confidence to do it so I set up a gym in Kildare I said I'd give it one year to see how it goes and yeah eight to nine years later I was still there where Um, did you get the notion of Canada um, do you want like will I be brutally honest (laughs) yeah go on yeah 
I, I was the only English speaking country that I could get a visa to because I've used up <laughs> I've used up America, I used up New Zealand, and I used up Australia. I've lived in all of the countries. So I had I looked around the, the map and I was like, well, Canada's the only English speaking country okay. I felt like I could go to that had the life I wanted to live. Mm. You know, mountains, lakes, you know, winters and summers. I was snowboarding, yeah. like I snowboarded in New Zealand for three years. You know, okay. I liked I liked activity um, and Canada just seemed to be quite like New Zealand um, yeah. with, with activities. So it just it just jumped out at me in that way. And I didn't fancy learning a different language. <laughs> you know, I, I could, had a notion years ago that I, oh, I'm definitely going to move to Canada. For, yeah. I'm going to live there for about five years. And <laughs> uh, that's going to be the lifestyle I want. I went to Canada for like three weeks and I, I don't I just go, what was I thinking? <laughs> where, was the, where did I get the notion of Canada is going yeah. to be the place for me? Yeah. <laughs> I think to sell it well, whoever whoever's like um, over the kind of like the Canadian kind of um, enterprise board or yeah. a very good job of selling it. No, but like I've, I've heard good things. And because I lived in New Zealand, a lot of people um, lived in Canada and they were telling me like, it's, yeah. you know, it, it's very much the same. Oh, yeah. But it's very yeah, that, similar, that kind of outdoorsy life, yeah. activity, yeah, activity, all those yeah. kind of skiing and snowboarding and hiking yeah. and all that kind of stuff as well, which is great. Yeah, and that, that's that's kind of what, what kind of uh, made me think about Canada, I suppose. And look, at the end of the day, I didn't end up going and I ended up like with uh, the Performance and Fitness Academy for, for over eight years. So, you know, um, it worked out in the end, you know. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Um, so then you obviously after eight years, you decided to kind of make the move into the area of mental health. Were you doing that kind of in conjunction with still running the Performance and Health Academy or was it a, a kind of a, a step back from it? Well, that was something that I, I, I see. I, I think I set up the academy because um, when I uh, tried to take my own life back in 2004, I used fitness. You know, fitness was 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 a huge part of my life, you know, pre-depression, anxiety, yeah. panic attacks, whatever. And then I used it to get myself out of like depression and um, suicidal ideation and kind of, uh, and um, anxiety. So I, mm-hmm. I, I realized that how potent exercise can be for somebody's mental health. So I, I went in uh, to the fitness industry with that in mind to think that I was going to help and change people's mental health, more mm-hmm. so than physical health. I wasn't really, you know, um, it was more the mental health aspect than it was the physical health. Uh, okay. So then after kind of a, a few years, I kind of started to kind of recognize that um, people's physical health was changing, but, you know, maybe their mental health wasn't changing as much as their physical health. Um, okay. So I said I'd be more vocal about my own mental health. And I ended up kind of doing a podcast on my own one day. And then from there, it kind of took off and the Irish Independent done an article on it, local newspapers ran with it. Um, and then I, I got contacted for, honestly, it must have been like two to three months from hundreds of people all over the country talking wow. about their own mental health. They could relate. They felt the same. Um, it was just, honestly, I, I did not expect a response that I got. And it was from that point I said, oh, my good God, there's a lot of people in this country that are suffering and in silence. At this time, mm. this was like six years ago before, you know, it wasn't really mainstream to be talking about mental health. There was no brezzy around. There was no people like very vocal about having mental health issues. Yeah. Um, so 
yeah, it, it just made it made me kind of realize that I need to do something else. This isn't enough. The gym isn't enough. There's people I can't I can't set up a gym in every county. But what I can do is get more experienced in talking about mental health, maybe fix my own mental health. So I, I could in turn then, you know, spread the word even wider to help people in different counties of the country. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. So you've I'm made wondering... that shift to get kind of like a widespread view and to reach more people, basically. 100 yeah. percent that was it i realized that the gym was limited like the gym was limited to whatever 250 members i had plus maybe like a couple of thousand people that followed me you know and if they didn't come to the gym they mightn't have got the experience of the gym or i, I mightn't have got to talk to them or whatever it may be but I if i actually f- like went back to college and you know studied um and and got a qualification in counseling and psychotherapy and understood myself and understood people and the human mind or whatever like that, I could, I could be, I think a bigger asset to this country than my gym was. Yeah. yeah. And was it a difficult decision then to move away from coaching in the gym ultimately to focusing entirely on counseling and psychotherapy? See, it, it was, and was <laughs> I think my body actually let me know when enough was enough. It was, okay. it was, it was actually my body. I got um, alopecia. Um, so I was trying to run the gym, um, um, which was a big enough gym, um, trying to run that, trying to like, you know, five, six employees, trying to go to college then as well. And then I was trying Mm. to do all my um, exams as well at the same time. So eventually I think I started to kind of get wore out and I started to burn out from, you know, um, emotionally, yeah, emotionally, physically and stuff like that. I kind of, I I started to kind of burn out and, um, first, uh, Physically, I, I felt the symptoms of, you know, um, sleeping um, uh, anxious for no reason, um, you know, eating habits, losing weight and um, feeling groggy, unmotivated to train any of this mm. kind of stuff. And then what started to happen, it started to kind of maybe seep into my work um, and maybe like, you know, even running the academy, say like the last kind of year or so, whatever, like that was more kind of autopilot than it was kind of like, I want to do this for the next 10 years. Yeah, yeah. I knew in college that this was... I knew I was going to make the transition, but my my body actually gave up before than my mind kind of to make that decision. I started to get alopecia. I went to the doctor. The doctor was like, look, you need to make a decision here, you know, because, you know, your physical health um, is in jeopardy um, with what you're doing at the moment. You're burning the candle at both ends. You know, you need to pick something and go after it. See, yeah. I, the, my personality at the time was I'm very all in on everything. When I make up my mind about something, I need to give it 100%. Yeah. And when I had two things I was really in love and passionate about were taking 50% each. Yeah. It felt like, you know, it was, it was pulling and dragging on days. So the decision was hard, but in a way it was easy because it needed to be done. Yeah, yeah. probably a relief in the end. Oh, massive. Yeah, massive relief. It was. And when I made that decision um, to, to hand over the gym or whatever, there was a huge weight off my shoulders. You know, um, again, like I always I always kind of preach or whatever like that. You know, if you give 50 percent to something, you get 50 percent of the results. You know, yeah. so I knew if I give counseling and psychotherapy 100 percent of my time, I would get 100 percent of the results yeah. like I yeah. did with the gym for eight years. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just it, I, hang on, I hung on probably a little too long, um, but that was my own kind of ego. That was my own insecurities and, you know, my attachment issues and stuff like that. It's very yeah. hard to let go of 250 people or the prospect of never seeing these people again or whatever like that. You know, it was, it was incredibly difficult. That was the hardest part. 
Um, yeah. Then, and then having created that business from the ground up and seeing it develop and grow both in physical size in the gym and obviously the members kind of progress as well. That must have been quite difficult to 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 give up, if you like, in inverted commas. Massive, massive. I remember the, the last day I had in the academy, they threw a little kind of like a, a party for me at the end, like brought me presents and stuff. And I wasn't expecting it. We just had this final workout, this final kind of blowout and stuff like that. And uh, see you later on to whoever saw it up. And I remember them handing me presents at the end. And whatever happened, I just got overwhelmed, like just incredibly overwhelmed by such generosity, by the love, by the connection. It was probably the first time in a very long time I stood back and realized what was created in that place. Not just by me, by every coach that was in there, by every member, by everyone, not me. Um, It it wasn't driven by me. It was was driven by everybody, the passion, the love, the connection. By everyone who ever stepped foot inside that place and coached in that place. And it all hit me like a ton of bricks. And I started to bawl my eyes out in front yeah. of like 60, 70 people. I was just, I couldn't contain myself. I couldn't talk. I was crying. And it was something that actually caught me by surprise because I thought I had it sorted. And I thought it was a decision that I had right in my head months out. Yeah. But then when it came down to it, I got overwhelmed and it just yeah. it overflowed. Like, you know, I think that's natural though. Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. And how are you um, going now with your own, oh, sorry, Neva, keep going in. Um, how are you going now with your own thing of, you know, having your own practices uh, and then building basically the, another business back up again? Um, yeah, well, look, um, experienced. <laughs> Not just in years. <laughs> I kind of, in a weird way, um, in, a, in a really weird way, um, I think that the eight to nine years of experience that I got from uh, running the gym um, has helped me immensely in the transition into the next period or next part of my life or whatever. And it's kind of made me realize what's important and what isn't important as well. Um, Setting up the business, any of that kind of stuff or whatever, I've done it all before. So it didn't come as this huge task only because the confidence was built up from me struggling so much you know, in the first few years of my my initial business or whatever, you know. Yeah. Um, so that, that stood to you in it? Oh, 100%, 100%. And that's it. Like, like taking, like, challenges, all, like, to face a challenge always comes action. So you always need to take action to face a challenge or whatever. But if I didn't face that challenge of setting up a gym, I can only imagine how maybe fearful and doubtful, whatever I might be now, setting up my, my new business. But because I faced that challenge so long ago, and I learned from it and I grew my confidence and self-esteem from it by taking that action. It allowed me to take this new venture already confident enough, you know, that I wasn't really doubtful of where my future was going to go. Yeah. 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 Great to have that confidence. <laughs> it is. Yeah. yeah, it is. Go head first, straight into it. Yeah, you're dead right. And I do like the, the aspect of the 100% all in thing. I'm not really not really a man for playing around the edges about stuff um but i would imagine like that it would that's a hard transition because obviously you had to go back and do an undergrad again do you know yeah. what i mean while you know this is what you're supposed to do and knowing oh but it's going to be you know three years i think it was three years was it yeah four yeah four years like that's that's a decent long period well for me anyway not for you guys you know it's a short <laughs> period for you is four, four years long, right? um, but the, the four years like that's a that's a long period where you know that you want to make this difference but it's going to take a little bit of time 
Um, it's a huge commitment. Did, yeah. Look, a massive commitment it was, but at the end of the day, like there's something like I spent a lot of my life doubting myself and fearful of my decisions and trying to live up to other people's expectations and standards. I also suffered from a learning disability in school. So I was always told I was stupid. I was worthless. I was, I was, you know, lazy was the worst thing anyone could say to me. I was like playing sports for my school, my county, you know, athletics, all this kind of stuff, whatever. And I was like, how am I being branded lazy? Like I, I, I couldn't fathom it. You know, I was, I was like an athlete in school. I was an athlete in my county. I was known. You know, I was like, why? How do you? Why are you all calling me lazy? Like once yeah. I'm competitive. If I understood what was going on in school, I would have got six hundred points or five hundred points. I, I, and that's how competitive I am. Yeah. And then to be called lazy, I just couldn't understand it. But so I, I made a conscious decision when I recovered from depression and anxiety and panic attacks, whatever, that I wasn't going to sit on the fence. I wasn't going to let the world dictate my future. I wasn't going to let society label me as anything. I was going to go head first into things. And I know you said, Jeffrey, about, you know, oh, I'm 100% in. I am 100% in, but I only need to be 50% um, uh, uh, 50% convinced of making that choice. Okay, yeah. You're never 100% on any choice. We can go yeah. our whole lives and we can waste a lot of our life and procrastinate on mm. getting to 100% to make yeah. that decision. I get to about 50%, 60% and I'm like, I'm pushing. I'm pushing yeah. on him because I either I either learn, that, that's that saying, and also cliche saying, but you either win or you learn. And it yeah. is so true because I either failed and I failed a lot in life, trust me, or I learned. There was no, it, it, to me, it was a win-win, but I yeah. never need to be 100%. I wasn't 100% about setting up my new practice. I wasn't 100% about the gym. But when I did go in, I gave it 100%. But my decision to make there was only about 50 to 60%. Okay, I was the weight to my decision to be 100%. That to me is procrastination. That to me is, is, I would have sat around for a decade and and waited and waited and waited for the perfect opportunity, the perfect time, the perfect storm, the perfect environment. I set up in 2007, 2008, this was a recession. People, like my own family, it was 2000, 2000, yeah, 2000, yeah, yeah, Yeah. whatever. My own family told me, you know, the goodness of their own heart, you know, because they're like, what are you doing? People do not Mm. have money to spend, Mm. you know, on themselves in this climate or whatever. But I just knew, I knew I was passionate enough. I knew it was 50 to 60% I was, I was, I wanted to push in. And that's enough for me. That's enough. You know, if I was to wait for 100% for the economy to come back for this, that, and the other, I would have been swallowed up. You know, I would have been saturated in, in the industry, in the, in the industry. I wanted to be a front runner and to be a front runner, you just have to act. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There is is no perfect time. No, because I, I'm the type of, you know, I'm the type of, I'm a safety guy, you know, I'm like, how I'll do this, but I'll have a backup too. And I'll have these <laughs> other things and I'll make sure till I'm a hundred percent right. And everything's going well till I make this decision. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? This, this, this look. It is very common, but if you look at safety and you look at yeah. comfort, there's never any growth from that. If you keep picking yeah. up, I'm not saying with you, Jeffrey, like I'm not, this isn't, yeah. I'm not trying to say this to you directly. You're coming at me, Nile, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I, always, I always remember a saying from Tony Robbins, right? I listened to a podcast yeah. years ago before I set up the gym. And Tony Robbins, 
he's hit and miss, to be honest, which I don't really follow much anymore because I don't believe in kind of, I see through it now. But before I did, it motivated me at the time. But he said, you know, if you want to take the island, so if you're on a boat and you're looking at the island, okay, and you can't paddle, you lost your oars. And if you want to take the island, you need to burn your boat. And when you jump off, you don't want to have a boat to go back to. So your, your only way of making the island is to swim. But if you leave the boat there and you jump off and you swim and about quarter way there, halfway there, you feel tired and knackered and you don't think and you doubt yourself, you'll always have the safety of swimming back to your boat. So for me, I always lived like that. Burn the boat. If you want to take the island, burn the boat. Have no safety net. It's either all in, this is you, this is your life, commit to it fully because if it doesn't work out, you'll always, ah, well, I always had this to fall back on anyway. This is it. I think if you have sometimes a plan B, Yes. I think you can probably over rely on a plan B. Yes. Um, but I think, I don't know, from my experience, I don't think that, you know, a lot of us view mistakes as a bad thing. But I think if you learn to view them as experience and a learning opportunity, yes. you can move forward and, and not be afraid to, to, to fail again because it's not failure, it's learning. Yes. Making mistakes is a skill. Like yeah. learning from mistakes is it's an actual skill i believe is because when people do make mistakes or even the fear of making a mistake can stop people and put people off from following their, their dreams goals desires you know meaning purpose whatever it may be but the yeah. beauty of mistakes is there is learning in it but it's how you react around making the mistake it can either crush yeah. you or it can develop you you know yeah. so it's, it's either how you react around that and the more mistakes you make the more you'll develop the more confidence you get in making mistakes but if you make yeah. a mistake once or twice and then avoid and, and, and never, never, and always go to plan B and skip away from it and avoid what you really want to do. Because anything mm. you want to do, if it's really big and it means a lot to you, you're always going to put pressure on it. With pressure, there's always going to be doubt, fear, you know, insecurities, whatever it may be. But yeah. look, a- action, action trumps, 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 Absolutely. Support, I believe. Absolutely. Um, in terms of overall health, I think there is a misconception that it's solely, well, it's it's kind of starting to turn a little bit now, but I think there certainly has been a misconception that it solely revolves around body weight and fitness. In mm-hmm. fact, I think some people will potentially just consider body weight and things like cholesterol, blood pressure, um, those kind of things as markers of health. But as a society, as I said, we are gradually getting better at recognizing that there are many factors that affect our health. Where do you think mental health sits in relation to our overall health? Oh, well, <laughs> that's, that's like asking me to choose between one of my favorite kids. You know, you've got health and mental health. It's like, which do you choose? Do you prefer him or her? Um, look, I, look, I think the, the both work in tandem. I think, to be honest, there's no point being physically fit. Well, sorry, sorry. Let me let me rephrase that. Um, it's not there's no point. I was like... I think some, some people can be physically fit, physically healthy, healthy and healthy and healthy and perceive they're healthy and they've got like, you know, um, abs or they've got whatever it may be and what you see on, uh, on social media. Uh, uh, and we can fall into the trap of believing that they are living their less, best life because they look a certain way. Yeah. But again, if your mental health is different yeah. because of it. You know, if your mental health is suffering because of the way you look, how you look, you know, um, who who's judging you, opinions of others, likes, any of that kind of stuff or whatever. How healthy are you? So yeah. you could be yeah. in the picture of health, 
You could be in the CrossFit Games. You could be a powerlifter. You could be world. You know, you look at someone like Michael Phelps, right? Michael Phelps, the most um, gold medals or I think any medals of any athlete in the history of the world in the Olympics and still fell into depression, like serious depression, suicidal thoughts, the whole lot of whatever like that. After competing in the Olympics for so many years and being the poster boy for America for so long. So, you know, if you were to ask him, like, what's most important to him, his 18 medals, I think, or 18 gold medals or whatever it may be, or his mental health, I, I'd nearly put money on he would pick his mental health, you know, because not to yeah. say he'd take yeah. away from the experience he got, <clears throat> but what is the point of having physical health if we can't have mental health to coincide with it? Yeah. And speaking about some of those kind of high-end athletes, um, like in terms of how we fall into comparison traps, what do you think about that? And obviously like social media is, is the big one where we're all comparing ourselves to other people, not just from what they can do athletically, but probably more so what they look like and, you know, how they make their lives to look, you know, how do you think that uh, comes true on the mental health side, especially on uh, like, I know during this whole lockdown, I've been on my phone way more than ever. So I'm constantly then looking at these people. Do you know what I mean? And how do you think that uh, we can deal with that over time? Or what do you think that leads to? Well, studies show that the longer we are on our phone, it correlates with, um, you know, um, how it affects our mental health uh, and how it, uh, it affects our mental health in a negative way. Um, mm. And comparison, yeah, is huge. And I think uh, I always use the saying is comparison is the tea for joy. Um, and, and with social media, uh, that's what it's become over like the last few years of uh, people going on their phones and comparing themselves to others, comparing themselves to kind of other, other, other people's bodies, other people's times, other people's scores, other people's you know, weights on the bar, whatever it may be. But at the end of the day, um, I know it's another cliche saying is like, it, you know, you're only trying to better yourself. You know, if you're, if you're constantly comparing yourself to other people, when, when our energy is focused on other people and, and following other people and looking at other people's lives or whatever like that is, it's not on ourselves. And, I, and we are the most important people to ourselves at the end of the day. So if we're constantly comparing ourselves to everyone we see down our screen or whatever like that, um, or they're, they're in Bali or they're abroad or they've got a nice body or they've got whatever it may be, or big bum or big biceps or abs or whatever it is. You've but been we on my Instagram, haven't you now? <laughs> yeah. You've been on my Instagram. Yeah. I have you blocked. <laughs> <laughs> um, but if we're constantly comparing ourselves to that, our perception of reality gets distorted. So, yeah. look, our nutrition just isn't what we eat. It's what we see, what we hear, what we allow in. Our nutrition is everything. It's not just what we eat. So if you're, if, yeah. you're, if you're looking down through your phone daily and you're visually taking in all of this, and you've got to remember, so everything we look at on our phone, you know, like the algorithm out there or whatever is to show you what you're looking at in your phone. So it's to keep you on your phone as long as you can. So if you yeah. put in like global warming or something, and then your phone is going to keep sending you things about global warming, and it's going to send you groups to join about global warming. It's going to send you, you know, it's going to put you down a rabbit hole. So the longer yeah. you are on your phone, it's going to feed into your insecurities as well as kind of your passions or whatever it is. But that's what the phone is designed to do. It's programmed to keep you on it as long as possible. Possible. So if you start flicking on people's pages and you start kind of like checking out Insta models or whatever like that, they're the people that are going to start coming up, people you might know, or whatever. You're going to start flicking into them. And then before you know it, then a lot of these people 
the society deems as what good looking or whatever like that, they're always trying to sell something. Yeah. So you, the more you're on your phone, the more likely you are to buy in to all of this. And the more insecure yeah. you are, the more you're judging yourself of, I don't look like X. They look so happy. They're selling Y. If I buy Y, I will, you know, end up looking yeah. like that. Yeah. You know, so it is a dangerous, dangerous game that people are playing every day. And uh, look, it's like Russian roulette. You know, you could go on it sometimes and it can be perfectly fine. And then you can go on it other times and end up leaving it completely, you know, in, like feeling insecure about yourself, anxious, sad, depressed, you know, judgmental of others. Um, whatever not, not not feeling like your life is worth living no meaning and purpose and you know yeah. it's, so comparison is the teeth of joy and it's it also takes away your self-awareness self-esteem and confidence and you know i haven't looked at a tv in over five years you know i i don't follow many people on, on instagram and it isn't you know because i don't like people it's just because the more people i follow i tend to the, I, I felt like i tend to go on to see what everybody is doing Mm-hmm. So I had to narrow down the amount of people I followed or whatever, because, you know, now I go on and it's just like, they're not big posters, you know, they're, they're not, yeah. they're not posting much. So I'm like, now I look at my phone, I'm like, there's no point checking it because no one's posting. But when I followed two, 300 people, I always felt like I was missing out on something. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with and you now- there about the, sorry, just about the, um, the thing of, are there loads of posts on if you if you constantly go back and you see that there's not a new up like i'll always go oh, why am i looking at this you know what i mean mm-hmm. why am i yeah. going on my phone every two seconds and there's not an ending on it anyway but if you're following less people less posts going up do you know what i mean that is going to happen but if you're following hundreds of people thousands of yeah. people there's new yeah. stuff coming up and then you're when you're not on you go oh what am i missing you know yeah yeah, yeah. definitely if you're following not- a thousand people sorry no, I was just going to say kind of that overuse of our phones, it's obviously going to affect our sleep. Um, it's kind of constantly giving us these kind of micro stress doses. It does affect our stress levels, you know. So thinking about our me- mental health and the various different factors, I guess, that impact it. How much of a, an effect do you think kind of things like lack of sleep and high stress levels or difficult relationships have on our mental health? Look, absolutely, it, it, it's huge. It's massive if you if you have an unhealthy relationship with it. Um, so I put up a post only there last week or the week before about, you know, try an hour before bed, you know, cutting off all social media because, you know, you hear of people being in bed and they're trying to like relax, they're trying to switch off and then they're going yeah. down to social media and then they're triggered by somebody's body where somebody could be in, you know, abroad in a hot country, you know, someone could make them feel insecure. So then all of a sudden your body starts producing cortisol and adrenaline and in that fight or flight mode thinks you're in danger, not knowing that yeah. you're inside four walls and it's your screen that's your danger. Um, and then you're trying to, you're trying to, you know, you're trying to fall asleep uh, with your body mm. producing all of these like you know stress hormones or whatever from what you're just after seeing so then your distru- your sleep is disrupted you could have got maybe say eight hours so now you're like two hours shy because you know by the time the adrenaline runs its course and the cortisol runs its course and you put your phone away and you try to calm down you went to bed at 10 o'clock now it's 12 so yeah. now all of a sudden you've shortened your sleep pattern by two hours. Not only that is when you do go to sleep, if it is really on your mind, it can it, it can take away from your deep sleep, your REM. Yeah. So your deep sleep then suffers from it. So then you wake up like how many, how often have you heard people turn around and saying, oh, I'm sleeping eight hours, but I'm still feeling I wake up and I'm exhausted. 
Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, but it, their mind is still overly active in their sleep because they're going to bed stressed, anxious, overly anxious. So I'm saying like about an hour or two before you go into bed, if you kind of switch off from social media, TV, read a book, listen to a podcast, you know, it'll have a positive influence on you. What that can do then is that can actually just kind of, you know, decrease uh, anxiety or anything that you might be feeling uh, and give you enough time to get to bed at the right uh, time yeah. for you to have an appropriate amount of sleep. If you aren't, look, studies have shown how important sleep is over the years and more studies are coming out and more uh, um, scientists are coming out with unbelievable studies. Sleep is king. Seven to eight hours a day is huge. And without that seven or eight hours a day, it's impossible. Not, not, sorry, not impossible, but it, 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 it can snowball effect into so many other aspects of your life. You know, binge eating, sugar, wanting to, you know, get quick, uh, quick fixes uh, in, 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 in spiking insulin and all that kind of stuff, whatever. Yeah. And um, moods, anxiety levels. Like people are like, oh, I only sleep four hours a night and I wake up incredibly anxious and I'm, I'm grumpy for the day. And like, imagine, you know, if that person got eight hours sleep or whatever, you know? Mm. So yeah. sleeping patterns, when it comes to social media, and a lot of people, I think, even when they're in bed, they could be with their partner and they could be looking at something on Instagram and then comparing their relationship to what to see. Oh, look at them. They look like they're madly in love. They're all <laughs> going on holidays together. And then the partner, your partner beside you is kind of like, you know, why aren't we like that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's even judgment when you're with a loved one. You know, I've got three kids. Oh, my good God. You know, like, and I feel trapped. I feel overwhelmed. I feel all of these things, whatever. Yeah. Like, my advice Definitely. is to clean out to clean out yeah i like the idea of kind of when i walk into my bedroom well obviously like hopefully i haven't looked at social media just before that and like that but to close the tabs you know it's almost like you know your internet browser and you have about eight tabs open and i saw it on a post the other day funnily enough i saw it on social media honestly <laughs> 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 where they have you know the idea of oh your brain is you know your google chrome or whatever and yep. you're just closing those tabs before you go into your bedroom whatsoever that's oh, your like space that. where you don't have to think about that that stuff that really isn't important right now when you're going to bed because mm-hmm. it's not because all that matters is your sleep when you're going to bed you know yeah. mm-hmm. uh, there's nothing you can do to change those things when you're going to sleep other than think about it while you're lying in bed <laughs> yeah that's an excellent excellent way of putting it Jeffrey honestly yeah that's that's really good yeah, yeah I think all those things as well like if we're getting if we're, if we're suffering with a lack of sleep um it's it's going to affect everything else that we do so it's going to affect our food choices it's going to affect our exercise routines and our performance in the gym and I think possibly even the reverse a lack of exercise then or a poor diet can impact on our mental health would you agree so, so a lack of what did you say? A lack, sorry. So, possibly even the reverse. So, a lack of exercise or a poor diet then can have uh, can impact our mental health as well. Not just oh, do the way around yeah. type of thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, of course, one hundred percent. Yeah, like it's it's um yeah. So la- la- lack of exercise. You know, they, they always say like exercise is the most underutilized antidepressant on the planet. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, so it, it can help. It's an amazing tool for mental health. Uh, I don't think it cures mental health. Um, I think it is an amazing tool uh, for okay. mental health. Um, but uh, yeah, nutrition as well, 100% can help um, with, you know, your moods, your mental health, anxiety, uh, sadness, depression, um, mm-hmm. 
any anything any sort of kind of mental health issue or mental illness um like like any sort of kind of studies have shown um, and doctors would 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 advise that you know exercise and um cleaning up your diet um, yeah. will have a positive effect on it now how positive depend it depends on the person depends how yeah. clean depends on what you exercise whatever it may be yeah um, but i still go back to the point is just because i was in the fitness industry for so long people are amazed when i turn around and say that physical uh um physical health isn't the cure to mental health yeah. do you feel um, sometimes it's almost like covering it up like if if somebody does have a serious mental health issue and they're going into the gym every way and they every day and they just want to feel like they they're killing themselves in the gym you know going all out do you feel that sometimes just covering up the issues they have more than you know say going to see somebody like you and actually dealing with the issue yes 100 percent and i've seen it i've seen it for nearly a decade um, I've seen people come in and like, I, like, uh, you know, I don't want to disclose too much or whatever yeah. like that. You know, you know, uh, I don't want people kind of guessing was he talking about me kind of thing, whatever. Yeah. Like that. Well, generalization of kind of like I've seen people and do you know what I was actually that person myself. Okay. You know, I, I used exercise for that. I used exercise to not punish myself but the kind of like to fight my demons you know it was a way for me to kind of fight demons instead of turning and facing them and actually acknowledging that i had them you know um so i try to train myself healthy you know which ended up unhealthy for me because i ended up with a back operation i ended up with injections in my shoulders groins knees wrists you know uh, i tried to push too hard because I searched for validation. My mental health issues for me training was all around validation and external locus of evaluation because I was never, um, uh, you know, academically good as a child. I felt like, and, and my siblings were, I felt like the pat on the back and validation they got was when they, you know, got 500 points in their leaving cert, when they'd done very well in school. And I used sports to get that validation. So when I was older, then I, I realized, okay, well, what worked for me when I was younger? So I started to compete then in CrossFit and powerlifting. So I trained twice a day, killed myself just for that validation, just because of that inner child in me seeked that validation. And it was yeah. my ego, grown by ego. And it was like, I remember doing competitions and not even wanting to be there. I remember yeah. training so often and hating training, like despising it, like actually like nearly to making me sick. But all I knew at the end of it was one day I'll get patted on the back for doing this. And I was mm. completely ignoring why I was training, why I was training so hard, completely. Yeah. Until I started to recognize and realize, hang on, Niall, you're destroying yourself, your body, everything or whatever like that to get this pat on the back. And I would compete, maybe podium at a CrossFit event. People would pat me on the back for an hour. And then after that, I was like, what's next? Yeah. I was never happy. And I think that the Michael Phelps thing, the Michael Jordan thing, the, all this kind of stuff, I don't, I'm not. I'm not relating myself to any of these, you know, sporting <laughs> legends or whatever. <laughs> the mind is an amazing thing where I think a lot of people, as you said, Jeffrey, they probably substitute exercise as a way of coping. Mm. But exercise was an amazing way for me to cope till I got strong enough to face my demons. Yeah. yeah. And in terms of signals and stuff, like, where do you think, like, was there a point where you just go, no, I need help or was there little signs along the way that told you and for anybody else that like is on the verge or uh, of going to see somebody but is, there's other things kind of drawing it back in no I'll be okay you know this thing will pass and um, what are their signs to look out for and 
you know, when to seek somebody's help, how do they know to seek somebody's help? Are you talking about mental health or are you talking about relationship with exercise? Uh, mental health, 100%. <laughs> yeah. Oh, mental health. Oh, when it, when it comes to mental health, look, you've got the, the, the general signs of whatever like that is. So the general signs will be lack of sleep, lack of motivation, um, isolation, um, mood swings, uh, weight fluctuation. So um, either eating, overeating or undereating. Um, they would be kind of the general ones of, but the, the, a huge one would be, um, uh, would be change in attitude, change in motivation and isolation. So if you, f- if you feel like you want to pull back from everybody, you want to go home, you want to sit at home, pull, pull the curtains, not, you know, uh, not engage with anybody, you know, uh, ignore messages, ignore phone calls. That's usually a sign of something. That's usually a sign of like some sort of kind of, it could be, sorry, a sign of like a mental health issue or burnout yeah. or something. But it's usually when people want to isolate themselves, you know, uh, it's usually like a, a, a big sign that, you know, some, they're dealing with something else. You know? Yeah, I think that brings me on to an interesting point. I think isolation and perhaps this year in particular, nearly forced isolation. Um, mm-hmm. We've been tested in every possible way with COVID and the various lockdowns that it's brought and it's interrupted our normal routines, be it food, be it exercise. I think a lot of people have realized the value of exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very easy to only consider the negative impact that COVID's had on everything about life as we know it. But I think with everything, there is a flip side. And I think one of the positive things that to come out of this is that, you know, I think there's a much greater appreciation of the importance of mental health. Um, mm-hmm. Why why do you think people are struggling so much? Or why do you think it's, it's had such an impact on people's mental health this year? That's a very broad question. And I don't want to, I'm always aware of, I, I, I don't like, I have my own kind of, you know, hypothesis or whatever like that. Yeah. Um, and uh, look, I can only kind of like give like a general answer. Like I can't give you yeah. a specific, but I'll give you my general answer would be is that, um, you know, I think a lot of people in society, in my opinion, are, are probably dealing with grief, you know, uh, and the five stages of grief. Um, which is denial, bargaining, um, depression, anger, and then acceptance. Um, mm. um, so that's from Elizabeth Kubler-Ross um, back in 1969. She came up with the, the five stages of grief. But I think there's a lot of people, got, like, if, we look at the, if we look at grief, so we look at loss. So I think a lot of people this year are after losing something. They're after losing connection. They're after losing friendship. They're after losing um, maybe uh, stability. They're after losing safety. They're after losing um, jobs. They're after losing finances. They're after losing their house. They're after losing mortgages they were going for, whatever it may be. I think a lot of people are going through loss and, yeah. and I think a lot of people probably weren't prepared for this or understand that, you know, what happens in loss? How do we deal with loss? You know, and um, I think people's mental health was, okay, we spend maybe eight to 10 hours a day out of the house, you know, away from each other where we have these other relationships in our lives. And then we come home and maybe meet our partners and meet the children for three, four, five hours of the evening. And then everybody goes to bed. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, now you've got at least maybe 12 to 18 hours together. And I was like, okay, like you're, everything kind of changed. We were told to stay inside. So people who would, would have been anxious about, um, you know, 
uh, being claustrophobic or being told to stay inside or not allowed to leave. And then there's a huge fear around people contracting uh, the virus, people contracting it and giving it to loved ones. You know, mm. uh, I have two very vulnerable parents at the moment or whatever like that. And I know even for myself, I was like handing, my mom has a lung cancer at the moment and I was handing her shopping through the window for the first maybe three to five months. Her shopping yeah. through the windows with a mask on, with gloves on. I was like hyper aware hyper aware of everything that's going on and as much as i feel like i've got my mental health it stable enough yeah. it still affected me but i lost that connection i felt like i lost that connection with my mother as well i couldn't hug her i couldn't kiss her i couldn't you yeah. know visit her and um, same with my dad same with even family members and stuff like that mm. so there was a huge amount of loss and fear with me and i think that if it isn't verbalized or we don't understand why we're feeling a certain way, it can be confusing. And I think a lot of people are just confused. Like I'm really angry, you know, yeah. um, you know, trying to bargain, you know, if they, if only this was this way or, you know, if things were different, I would do whatever. And um, I'm not understanding. I think, I think most people don't even realize it as a sense of loss. They know that they're kind of, they're experiencing anxiety and frustration and all sorts of different emotions. But I think a lot of people, I think it's really nicely the way you've described it there. I think a lot of people won't even recognize it as a sense of loss, whatever it is that they're experiencing. Yeah, oh, 100 percent is like if we if we see a loss in a relationship or even a loss in a family member or someone deceased or whatever, that, you know, it, uh, grief is a journey. You know, grief is a process and, and no one person grieves the same as another person. It's very unique to us and our experiences and our relationship and our bond and whatever it may be. So all of a sudden an accumulation, we all had to grieve at the same time. Yeah. So everyone's kind of, we all lost something at the very same time. So it's yeah. very hard if I lost somebody and you lost something and it's like us to maybe explain that to each other because we, you know, you don't feel like your voice is valid because well, what's the point in me telling my partner I'm after losing freedom when she's lost freedom too, yeah. but it's still a valid conversation to have. It's still something that we can confide in each other and empathize with each other. But I don't believe, as you said, Neve, maybe people don't realize how much they have lost. Yeah, I think yeah. it's quite different when you do look at it like loss because I suppose I didn't think of it like a loss and like you know I was in the house with my girlfriend Amy and you know for the first while like we're all doing good and then you know it gets to one person going oh I'm just sick of it and then it was, it was Amy saying she was sick of it and me going <laughs> oh would you get over it do you know what bus. I mean and then but it's not considerate and you have to take you do have to take that into consent into into account that it is a loss and then because obviously like if you suffered a loss in the family you really wouldn't be concerned for that person but when sometimes when you don't look at it like a loss like this you then don't show as much concern as maybe you should i think mm. you don't feel that you have a, a i think when, when somebody dies it's tangible you know yeah. i think there's an expectation that you're going to grieve where yeah. when something like this you don't really feel that you have a right to recognize it as a loss. So there's a lot of confusion there, I think, as to what emotions we should be feeling. Yeah, that's absolutely perfectly put me. Honestly, that's, that's articulated very well. And it's so true as well about the tangible or whatever like that. Um, and I think, I think sometimes people don't think that their feelings are valid. You know, it's like, well, you know, I might be going through this, but my next door neighbor, they lost, you know, their uncle yeah. or they lost somebody. Like, what have I got to complain about? 
But yeah. all our emotions and feelings are valid, no matter. There's always going to be somebody around the world or in your town or in your community, or even your family that are mm. going to, has gone through something more than you, something more extreme than you, whatever it may be. But that does not make your feelings and emotions invalid. Uh, uh, and yeah. for you to say, well, there's no point in me speaking up. Because I might have lost the gym, I might have lost control of my food, but at least I didn't lose my dad or mom. Yeah, yeah. But it's still valid to talk about these things because when we're not, what happens is we're we're letting things pile up, and eventually yeah. then there's an explosion, there's anger, there's there, there's studies shown as well that you know I don't really want this to go in this direction or whatever like that. But domestic abuse, you know, uh, alcohol drug use, all that kind of stuff has increased since yeah. lockdown. Yeah. So you can see a lot of people are getting probably angry, using drugs, alcohol, whatever it may be. And instead of vocalizing how they're feeling, are letting it build until it just explodes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, with kind of the idea of kind of being at home a lot more, um, obviously there's been a lot of lockdowns, various different lockdowns of gyms, and it's kind of become a lot more reliant on people recognizing what exercise does for them, but finding it incredibly difficult to find that motivation to train at home. Um, mm-hmm. What's your view on, I guess, why, why people, why some people need to feel they have to go, they have to go physically to a place to work out where, and they, they're just finding it very difficult to, to find the motivation to train in the same four walls that they kind of, you know, eat dinner and sleep and watch TV. Hmm. Well, look, there's, 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 there's a couple of answers to this. The first one um, is that I believe that um, a connections, human connection. It, 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 there's a book by Johan Harry called Lost Connections. And um, look, if anybody's interested, then go and read it. But it's, it, it's, it, it's, I think it's a lack of connection. So when you go to work and you're in work for eight or 10 hours a day, you might be in a cubicle or you might not talk to that many people in work. When you go to the gym, for me, what I seen in the academy was nearly more about the community and connection than it was about the physical health. People yeah. just wanted to go and offload. It was like people called exercise therapy. And I understood why after a while is because someone would go there and just go, I'm after having this shit day. I'm after, you know, you know, and they just that offload. And for three or four or five people to sit around with them and kind of go, yeah, I get you. I get you is enough. And it is like therapy. It is like offload and it is kind of getting that off. And I think a lot of people use the gym to connect, to get outside, to move, to, to be outside their four walls or whatever. It makes the mind think that they're going to do something. Staying in the yeah. house and training meeting where you're doing is you kind of it doesn't it doesn't allow the brain to kind of maybe see that, you know, um, you know, you're going out to do something. It kind of feels that we're just staying inside, we're trapped, we're isolated, you know, we're imprisoned nearly, yeah. like, you know. Um, yeah. and I think if people were struggling and kind of to train at home and miss the gym. I would nearly kind of look at, you know, what gym did they go to? Were the part of like a community? Were the part of like CrossFit? Were the part of a powerlifting community? I'd nearly bet that they would. And I think the people who probably didn't suffer as much, maybe the people who are used to going to global gyms and having earphones in, like them probably training at home wouldn't have, uh, probably would have yeah. replicated the global gym, you know. But I think people in CrossFit gyms and powerlifting gyms and Olympic lifting gyms, whatever like that. I think the aspect of connection, the aspect of human connection, talking, high-fiving, hugging, even high-fives, any of that kind of stuff. It is is infectious and it is something that human beings miss out on. And I think it's something that the the pandemic took away from us. And it's another thing we lost, like hugging somebody, like hugging, 
somebody I haven't hugged somebody since March you know yeah. and somebody <laughs> would laugh at that and think that I'm not much of a hugger but yeah. I am like you know what I mean to people I like um, but, <laughs> <laughs> so if well, you're a random yeah. person listening yeah. to this podcast don't just walk up and hug Niall god damn it it's only the yeah. people he likes <laughs> yeah no, I'm getting the ghost. but like I would I would hug people in the gym I would hug yeah. people after sessions I would hug people you know, I would hu- I would hug people like you know what I mean if I felt like they needed yeah. it, and I felt I'd be I'd be I'd be you know doing it for myself too. If yeah. I felt like I needed it, I would allow somebody to hug me too. You know, and it's something I think we lost as well. So when people are maybe agitated at home, I do get the feeling that they probably feel imprisoned. Mm. But you gotta also look at the other side of what the loss at the at the same time. High fives, yeah. hug connection you know even that drive that somebody's beside you sweating and going through the same thing you're going through like that's yeah. what cross it's built on yeah community just that kind of yeah. tribe mentality yeah. as well which yeah. is it's so powerful yeah. so powerful and it's evolutionary it's we are supposed to be part of tribes like we for like thousands of years we were tribal we were hunters and gatherers we like tribes to us whatever like that is tribes meant safety tribes meant survival and now yeah. all of a sudden you know, we're taken away from all of that and we're told to just sit inside, lock your doors, be afraid of the world, you know, and then we've missed out on our tribes. We've missed out on our connections. And, and that has a dramatic a detrimental health on somebody's mental health. Yeah, definitely. So we're facing into January now. Uh, I don't think anybody's going to be sad to put a line under 2020 uh, and, and just move forward. Um, I forgot that normally- was 2020. I thought, huh? we were, I thought we were in 2021, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have. <laughs> it didn't exist at all. No. Yeah. Um, but normally, obviously, gyms and kind of gyms and I guess a lot of kind of um, diet plans. Uh, I won't name any companies or anything like that. Would see a surge in kind of new memberships or new kind of people resolving to kind of this is the year. This is the, the time I'm going to actually make a change. Motivation yeah. is high. You're thinking, yeah, this is it. I'm going to do it this time. You get new gear, new runners, and you're ready mm-hmm. to attack the plan. It all goes great. And believe me, I was a poster girl for this for years. I don't know how much money I spent every January spending, but you know, joining some new gym or starting some new plan. Um, mm-hmm. It all goes great for a few weeks. And then motivation begins to waver. Old habits gradually begin to creep back in. And you adhere to the diet plan less and less. You start slipping back from going to the gym three, four, mm-hmm. five times to once or twice before fizzing it all together. And all of a sudden, then you're back to where you started. But you potentially feel even worse. And I think the more you do this, the more worse you feel because you've just, you've failed and you've defeated it again. What mm-hmm. effect do you think this repeated, you know, over and over again has on us? Look, it has a huge effect or whatever. But when, when it comes to exercise and it comes to health, when it comes to physical health, it comes to mental health, you should always ask yourself the question of, are you intrinsically or extrinsically motivated? So are you doing it for yourself intrinsically or are you doing it for that pat on the back? And look, different. there's no, there's no bad kind of... Uh, sometimes we can do things intrinsically and it can work out. And sometimes, you know, if you're working for a boss, you can work really hard extrinsically to get that pat off the back of your boss. So yeah. there, there, there is, there's pros and cons of both sides. But when it comes to physical health, my advice would be to ask yourself the question of, are you doing this for intrinsically? Are you, are you motivated intrinsically? So are you doing it for yourself? A lot of people, I think... It comes to the new year, new you, all this kind of stuff. And the motivation wears off because I don't 
I would argue that they're probably not doing it really for themselves. And um, mm. they're probably doing it because of Instagram. They're probably doing it for the clicks. They're probably doing it for the likes. They're probably doing it for a partner. They're probably doing it for their parents. They're probably doing it for whatever it may be. And I think the people in the decade I was in the gym industry or whatever like that is, the people yeah. who generally lasted were the people who were doing it for themselves. You knew that nobody could put themselves through this unless it was for themselves. The people who didn't fall off on February, March, April, May, I knew were people who, who were motivated to say, I want this for me. Mm. So intrinsically motivated. For the people who wanted to get the pat on the back, the Instagram likes, the, the booty shots, the, the whatever it is, you know, the, the external locus of evaluation, any of that kind of stuff or whatever like that. Or, or holidays or, or a wedding you know you know i've got a wedding coming up in six weeks now i want to lose two stone help me i'm like whoa you know you know there, there's a lot of kind of like you know downsides mental health um issues with that when people lose weight uh, for for certain occasions or for a holiday or whatever like that then the motivation goes because that was extrinsically motivated yeah. you know it was for a holiday it was for people to see you it wasn't for yourself so i'd ask myself that question is it for you are you doing yeah. this for you, for your health, for your well-being, for, for, for longevity in life? Do you want to yeah. live longer? Is this because you want to feel better? But it always has to be back to you. Are you doing it for you? And to avoid, I, oh, look, I'm not even on Instagram that much or whatever like that. I don't follow that many people. But I just know well if I went on and start going through Instagram, I guarantee you I'm going to see a load of people trying to sell stuff. New you, new whatever, 2021, this is it. My 30-day challenge, my 45-day challenge, my whatever, quick fix. In society, we are sold the quick solution. Everybody wants the quick fix to everything. You're offered yeah. the quick fix, but at a price. So you pay me 500 euro, whatever like that, and follow my 30-day plan, my 30-day abs, my 30-day whatever it might be, and you are going to get these results or you've got the potential to get these results. Everything, when it comes to the fitness industry, is about sales. So it's a matter of what you're buying into and what you're not buying into. If you're buying into these quick fixes, quick teas, quick uh, shakes, quick 30-day challenges, quick January challenge, 30 days, buy up, you know, limited spaces, whatever like that is. Yeah. That's the stuff it's not I sustainable. Those kind of plans are, you know, they're kind of four or five, six weeks. You're changing absolutely everything about your life, but it's such a huge change. You're going from not to a hundred that, well, in my experience anyway, the reason that they might work if you follow them for the period of time, but because you're not changing behaviors slowly mm -hmm. over a period of time and looking at every aspect of your life that's contributing to the decisions you make around food and around training, um, they're just simply not sustainable. Yeah. I'm just wondering, is this, a, is this a bad time to try and sell my 30-day quick fix challenge to you, Niall? <laughs> it's only a thousand, euro, and I swear to God, you look like me when you're done. I'm all in. I'm all in. I'm all in. Sold. All my money. There's only limited spots available. That's all I have to say. Yeah. But you, you even look at, you guys would know more. I don't really have a qualification in nutrition or whatever like that, but you guys would know more about this. But working with clients or whatever like that is if, 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 if I saw over the years, whatever, if somebody lost weight in an incredibly a short period of time, say 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, what happens is, it doesn't, their brain doesn't register how much weight they've lost or how good they look. And people might be saying, oh my good God, you look great. You've lost three stone. Oh my God, you look, 
you know, your jeans, your tops, whatever it may be. But it has the brain actually hasn't maybe registered. You know, they, mm. they might have been overweight for a very long time. And then all of a sudden, within 30 days, they've lost all this weight. And then their brain doesn't register this. So they think that everybody's saying these things and they might be lying or, you know, taking the piss out of them, whatever it may be. So I think yeah. when it comes to losing weight, it comes to exercise, it comes to whatever it is. I think physical health is one thing, but I do believe if you're not bringing your mental health along with it, you can yeah. end up in a spot where mm. you have lost six stone, five stone, four stone, whatever it may be, but still have the mindset of five stone, six stone, whatever heavy, yeah. you know, and be absolutely detrimental because you believe that everyone's trying to con you or you believe you aren't what people are telling you because you yeah. only picture your old self. So I think it's incredibly important if you're handing out nutrition advice or you're doing yeah. nutritional programs that you're mm. trying to like do what you guys do and you're trying to change the whole thing in a holistic yeah. approach. Yeah, definitely. And doing it kind of at a, at a slower pace, a lot slower, I think, than a lot of people sometimes want to do because they want that quick results they want to see something very very quickly but I think the slower you do it not too slow but the slower you do it the more likely it's going to it's going to last and it's going to have an overall effect on, on people's health and well-being and, and mental health as well doing it in a healthy way obviously kind of allows your brain to kind of go along the same pace with you yeah. um, mm. there's one thing that I wanted to ask you that I'm, I'm curious about um, and it kind of relates back to we were talking about kind of um, the dangers of comparison and kind of obsessive behaviors. But I've come across this um, concept called modeling behaviors. And I'm kind of on a fence about it a little bit. Um, it's essentially encouraging people to model or adopt positive, healthy behaviors of others, or even of a version of themselves they want to be. What's your view on this? I mean, do you think comparison can be positive or should it be avoided entirely? Ooh, that was that. That's a that's, <laughs> that's a curveball there. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, look, in in some ways, look, in some ways, I do believe it can work. I do believe it can get people. If people, if people can be motivated, if people can be like, say, Tony Robbins standing on a stage and he's telling people, look, you know, get people motivated. I think a small degree of people can get motivated to the point where they might hear something, they might hear, you know, a motivational speak, they might see how somebody else lives, to copy how they're living, their positive way of living, and it can help in a way. But, and it can get them maybe out of a hole or whatever. But I would then argue is, um, I would argue that, you know, who are you going to be at the end of it? Are you going to be the same person? Are you going to be the person that you wanted to be? I believe yeah. that there's other ways of doing it. I believe a more sustainable and a healthier way would be to actually go to therapy or to talk yeah. to people or to verbalize than actually try to copy somebody else. I wouldn't ever advise that. I would never advise somebody to say, oh, look at this person up on Instagram, look at them up on YouTube and um, just copy their lifestyle, copy their behaviors. And then all of a sudden that will kind of like, you know, trickle into your life or whatever, because all of a sudden as you have somebody like Gary Vee or Tony Robbins, and you're going to have a world full of them people. And do they even want to be them people? Like are they copying their lifestyle and copying who they are because they think that's who they want to be? I would be more, let's get down to the, the nuts and bolts and figure out who you want to be and more yeah. figure out well, why are you feeling this way? Why do you feel you need to follow somebody to, to be motivated by their lifestyle, yeah. to be motivated by what they're preaching? To me, I think, yeah. you know, people would argue that, you know, they, they motivated me and they'll all, you'll see through the message boards of, you changed my life, you changed my life, you changed my life, I've done exactly what you told me to do, whatever, but... 
I don't know if it is just their life that they, that, that they have now is a little bit better than it used to be, but it's still not the life they want to be living. Yeah. As you say, it's kind of, if, if they, if, if we or they kind of see their behaviours as begin, beginning to become unhealthy, um, it might be time for them to kind of seek a little bit of help just to kind of talk that through and kind of work through it. Um, mm. We've covered a lot of different areas in terms of the importance of mental health in general. Um, the best mental approach to starting out in a healthy fitness goal before moving on to areas like comparison and obsessiveness with nutrition and training. Um, in general, everyday terms, Niall, I think a lot of people don't know how to recognise when the time is right to seek help. From your experience, is there a right time or does it depend on the person themselves? Uh, that's a very good question. Um, uh, sometimes I think when um, people seek uh, help for their mental health, um, it's usually not too late, but it's usually kind of like when they've got themselves in such a hole, like such, yeah. you know, such a, a deep depression, such, you know, panic attacks daily, you know, anxiety, whatever it is, not being able to leave the house, whatever. You know, mm -hmm. some people can kind of nearly let it go too far and go, right, I've hit rock bottom, now's the time. My advice would be if you kind of have that kind of niggling idea that, you know, something might be on your mind or something, you know, uh, might manifest into something bigger would be yeah. maybe to help and to maybe just get an understanding of it. You know, it's like it's like people when they get the flu, the first thing to do is start loading in vitamin C. And you're yeah. like, it's too late now. Yeah. Vitamin C, you should have been loading it in before you got the flu to prevent the flu. Now you've got vitamin C, you're trying to cure the flu. You know, yeah. so when people have mental health issues, don't get me wrong, they come in with mental health issues, whatever like that, and you're trying, you're, you, you, you work with it, whatever like that. And look, there is no bad time or whatever like that. But if you're asking my honest opinion is, uh, a healthier or a better time would be is when it's leading up or you start to see signs of that isolation, of that retracting from people, of that not eating properly or overeating, not sleeping properly. Instead yeah. of getting, getting to get to the stage where it's like you're nearly forced, your body or mind or family nearly force you to go because yeah. then that could be a, a harder climb out of you know, we'll call, you know, mental illness or mental health issues. Instead of recognizing these things, seeing the red flags, like Jeffrey asked me at the start of the, the, the podcast, whatever, and maybe just owning up to it and kind of saying, well, look, it's no harm me going to, you know, um, ask a few questions and maybe verbalize this. And yeah. it, it, it would be grand. I might only need one session. I might be something yeah. that I just verbalize something, go, God, you were dead right. Yeah, different perspective and walk out and then that could be it. You know, yeah. I think it's about every once in a while of letting the steam out of the radiator instead of letting the radiator boil up and then explode. Yeah. So every once in a while, going to therapy or talking to friends is letting that little bit of steam out. Yeah, yeah. It, it can really affect us. I think if we allow it to get into the mm. depths of despair, um, it can really mm. affect every part of our lives, our relationship, everything that we're doing, our stress levels, our sleep. It, it can have a serious impact on us. You know, what, what kind of toll is it likely to have long term if, people don't go to 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 seek um to seek help or it's left untreated the, the worst case scenario is suicide yeah like there you know we've got like um some of the worst suicide rates um especially in adolescents and teens and um people under uh, above 50 in europe i think we're like fourth um on some of them wow. fourth and yeah fourth i think on both of them lists um in adolescents and teens and in um I, i'm almost sure people over 50 but um 
Yeah, so look, we've got some of the, the worst suicide rates in Europe uh, uh, and in the world or whatever, uh, and we, we, we lose um, more than one person a day in this country to suicide. And that isn't the, you know, for one person who goes, or one person who uh, takes drawn life, um, there's, there, there, there's I, I, statistically, I'm after forgetting the number, I think there's like maybe 20 or 30 people that attempt it. You know, so there's a lot of, you know, uh, a lot of people out there who are struggling uh, yeah. with mental health and, and just because it, it mightn't uh, it mightn't get to the stage where it ends in suicide or ends in death. It could be self-harm. There could be all of these other things and there could be people that were saved. Yeah. So look, if you're asking me where it can lead to, it can lead to death, I suppose, and yeah. lead to suicide. And I, I don't want to, I don't want to come across I'm very kind of morbid and crude when I say something like that, but this is reality. People are taking their own lives and what, what, what really, really affects me, honestly, on the bottom of my heart and what, what made me go back and what pushed me to go back to college and fight through all of my insecurities and all of my, you know, learning disabilities and leaving the class when it was my turn to read and all of these tricks that I had to get through college and not let people know that I suffered from dyslexia, whatever like that is, yeah. is that there's somebody out there, there's somebody out there in so much pain that they would prefer to tie a rope around their neck and jump off a tree than they would to open up and talk. Yeah. That scares me. That, that's fearful that there's people out there in so much pain that, instead of verbalizing how to feel they would prefer to just like make a permanent decision on a temporary emotion yeah. that 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 scares me and that's what that's why i'm so vocal about mental health that's why i'll always yeah. be vocal about mental health is because i was there i tried i wanted to i planned it i had suicidal ideation for a very long time or whatever and i understand the pain and suffering and how close I was to coming to it, but I also do understand that I found meaning and purpose and learning from it. And I am who I am because of it today. Yeah. So there is light at the end of the tunnel, but um, it, it, it is something out there that it needs to be investigated and looked at and approached in a different manner. If, if, if I'm uh, being brutally honest, like there's more yeah. people dying by suicide than road accidents, but yet, Every time on TV, you guys could tell me there's probably road accident ads uh, between every, you know, uh, program or whatever like that. But there's nothing about suicide. God, that's a frightening statistic, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And <clears throat> we used to have very bad uh, um, uh, uh, deaths by, uh, on, on the road or whatever, and then to start pumping these ads out or whatever like that. And I do think they've had a massive uh, positive effect. And I think if they yeah. do the same about mental health or whatever, I think that will have... Uh, uh, a positive effect too because yeah. if it's if we normalize it if we kind of like put it into the mainstream and we put it on tv and we have people discuss and we've got ads and we've got like people telling like it is getting better on uh, i think radio stations and newspapers and people yeah. are being vocal like brezzy and people are in good positions are starting to be vocal blind boy yeah. um, you know from the rubber bandits or whatever people do discuss it and people are getting better but i think it could be better we have you know 80 percent of people who take their own lives in this country on, on a yearly basis are male you know so eight out of 10 people are, are men. So yeah. I, I think something needs to be done. There's something, there's some thing that's not being translated properly in the youth yeah. of today, in, in society, whatever it may be. And I would love if money was thrown that direction to get to the bottom of how we can come up with the best solution for Definitely. this. Definitely. I wholeheartedly agree. Um, I, I, for people who are nervous about seeking help for the first time, and I, I'm, I've been quite open in the past in blogs that I've that I've wrote about 
Um, I've sought help um, on several occasions in mental health and it just I don't shy away from it at all anymore. I think it's quite an important part of looking after health. But mm-hmm. for people who haven't done it before, what does therapy involve? And most importantly, is there a couch? <laughs> no, I actually posted about this only a few weeks ago as well. I actually done a video of my room. I work out of uh, Selbridge Wellness there um, in Selbridge. And I, I done a video of my room um, just to show people a few rooms because I often get contacted by people. You know, if anyone watched The Sopranos years ago or anything like that, it's usually like, you know, like a therapist there, there's a table in between you, there's a note and pen. You know, you might be lying on a couch. You know, you have all these kind of like movies and that gave people the perception that, you know, you're being judged nearly or you're you're being, you know, analysed or something like this. Yeah. Where it's, it's so far from the truth. Um, I, um, does that happen? Maybe. Uh, have I come across that in all my time of learning or whatever like that? Not once. It's um, very Freudian kind of, isn't it? Very Freudian. Yeah. And he was around 100 years ago. Yeah. You know, so I think that we're still we still have some of the beliefs and some perceptions of something that was around 100 years ago. It's just, you know, and it doesn't help by TV programs and movies and magazines promoting that stuff because it does kind of look like, you know, if you were to describe therapy and somebody was just sitting across the other person, not that it looks boring, but it looks normal. So yeah. some people try to movie it up and try to like he's sitting on a couch and he's analyzing and, you know, getting into his head and, you know. You know, it, it makes it a bit more kind of like Hollywood, I think. Yeah. And it, it's not sexies it up or something, but it kind of makes this kind of a bit more kind of like dramatic when it's not. It's two people sitting in a room. OK, and it's it's a conversation between two people. And it's 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 whatever comes into the room would be no judgments, absolutely yeah. no judgments. Um, and it's one person just just talking and it's another person kind of listening and it's just two people having a conversation nice comfortable safe environment where you know there's going to be no judgment anything that's said in that room stays in that room it's just two seats um so like with no in in my place there's no table in between or any of that Mm. kind of stuff whatever and it's 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 just a safe space where somebody just goes in to chat no analyzing no writing no notes no any of that kind of stuff doesn't happen maybe um i have never seen it or whatever but I think people have that perception of I'm going to go in, they're going to judge me and they're going to analyze me. They're going to read my mind. They're going to ask me questions <laughs> and stuff like that, you know, where it doesn't happen. And yeah. in therapy, the person who's coming in, the client that's coming in has the answers. Yeah. Therapists don't give the answers. They don't give advice. They don't come in and kind of say, hey, I'm, I'm struggling in my relationship at the moment. What should I do? Like, therapist shouldn't answer that question yeah therapist yeah. should be like oh get, let me tell oh, what she said what oh, go home and dump her you know that's that's not therapy you know that's so if you're expecting something like that from therapy as well it that that isn't what therapy is about therapy is about well why are you feeling that certain way about your partner? yeah yeah you know and, and more about resolving and about pers- uh, a different perspective around it and why are your emotions feeling that way or whatever and behaviors feeling that way more so than kind of i need answers tell me what to do you know that isn't therapy yeah i think it should be mandatory for everybody i just think that you know it is it's kind of been put on this pedestal that people a lot of people are afraid of it they don't know what it is they have this idea from as you say kind of hollywood and films and this old freudian concept of lying out in this red couch and being analyzed and that's Mm -hmm. it's very overwhelming it's very kind of it would put me off going to it but actually it's just a conversation it's just a conversation between two people just trying to work through things which is great 
Yeah, and I think and, sometimes when you're the client, you kind of can feel a bit more comfortable talking to a stranger and offloading to a stranger because some of the things you want to talk about might be about a partner, might be about a parent, might be about a family member and stuff like that. And you don't feel like, you know, if I say this to that person, are they going to go back and say it to this person? And you kind of feel trapped that you've no one to talk to about it because Chinese whispers or rumors or whatever it may be. So that whole kind of like walking into a room where nobody knows you, nobody knows the person you're talking about can be a little bit kind of like freeing as well um, and let people be a little bit more vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Um, Well, thank you so much for your time, Niall. It was uh, such a thrill to have you on with us today. Um, Before we let you go, though, just tell us what's next for you and where can people find you? Uh. I think every time if I get asked that question, I always think of like pinking the brain is like uh, I want to take over the world. <laughs> um, but um, that's for that's whoever that if you weren't born in the 80s or whatever like that, you probably won't know that kind of Jeff won't uh, get that. No, no, no. I don't get a lot of these references that come from you two folks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like pinking the what? What are you talking about? <laughs> but um yeah, boys. Yeah, so so next for me, whatever like that is, yeah, ju- just basically, uh, um, yeah, working away, um, trying to progress as best I can, and try to grow as best I can, trying to to uh, help as many people as possible. I'm hopefully in the new new year setting up a men's group in Selbridge, and um, where it'll be just a group where it'll be. Um, it's not like a, a Q&A or a therapy session. It's where, you know, hopefully a handful of men will meet up and we'll all get to sit around. I'll be a participant as well. I'm not mm-hmm. going to be somebody who's going to be sitting there kind of like, okay, ask me questions and this is group therapy. I'll be yeah. more of a facilitator and just making sure everything kind of runs smooth or whatever like that. So hopefully setting up a men's group where we just, men can just kind of like sit around and just talk about Great. stuff, you know, freely and maybe learn the language around feelings and emotions or whatever, if needs be, or just talk about football, yeah. whatever it may be. Yeah. So that's kind of like the new year uh, baby on the way. Got a baby yeah. due January 20th. So that's kind of going to keep me on my toes. But um, just talks, podcasts, whatever I can basically to share my thoughts and opinions about things and hopefully some way I can help. That's, Amazing. Uh, yeah. Really, really good. Uh, I can't let you go today without recommending our listeners to check out your documentary. Um, it's a beautiful, open, honest account of your story. And you tell it so well. It's highly worth a watch. Uh, where can they find it? Is it on YouTube or? Yeah, sorry. Well, it's on. Uh, yeah, the best thing to do is probably go to my Facebook page. So uh, Niall Minnelli Counseling and Psychotherapy. Um, and my Instagram page is Niall Minnelli. Uh, so N-I-A-L-L and then M-U-N-N-E-L-L-Y Counseling. Um, uh, Niall underscore Minnelli underscore Counseling on Instagram. And I try to share a few bits of information and a few tools and stuff like that to help people or to maybe get people to understand mental health or their mental health a little bit more. Um, But yeah, the documentary is on board. It's in my bio on Instagram and it's uh, at the top of my page on my Facebook page. Great. We'll put a link into it, into the show notes as well. Um, I think it's definitely worth a watch. But listen, thank you so much. What are show notes? (laughs) Show Show notes. notes. The little description of the podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Underneath that you can put a link in there Spotify, for people yeah. to, to access it straight away. Yeah. Um, but yeah, idea, Niall, thank you. Huh? <laughs> it's a great what? idea, Neve. I agree. Yeah, great idea. <laughs> thank you so much for your time, day. Niall. It's been such such an interesting conversation and such a pleasure to have you on. So thank you. Thank you very much again. Thanks, yeah, Niall. Thank you very much, guys, for, for asking me to come on. And best of luck with everything you're doing so far. You're both doing an amazing job. And, um, you know, best of luck with everything in the future. And, um, yeah, stay safe. Great. Thanks. See you soon. See you. Bye. Thanks.
that conversation with Niall. Um, I really enjoyed that one. It was such a thrill to have him on. Um, mental health to me is a hugely important factor in our over, overall lifestyle. Um, and I think he gave some really great nuggets um, and views and opinions on, um, on, on, on mental health, but also the importance of kind of linking that in with overall health, physical health, um, training in the gym and obviously nutrition choices. Um, I also like actually how much he uh, he's open about obviously his own mental health experience uh, yeah. and how he just brings that forward for everybody else to kind of understand and see that, you know, they're not alone out there if they do suffer with similar issues. Um, yeah that he's gone through it and uh, he's been there right to the end and, uh, yeah. you know, he's coming back out and trying to make a difference and that's great to yeah. see. His own story is just so inspiring and it just comes across in how fired up um, when he talks about it, yeah. you know, why he wants to do it, why he wants to really make a difference with what he's doing as well. So I think it's just really, really inspiring. I agree. And I actually haven't seen his, uh, his documentary, but after that, pod- after that conversation, yeah. definitely it's definitely worth it. a watch. Yes. Yeah. Um, so we have one more, ep- one or two more episodes. Um, the next one will be a shortish one with, uh, you'll be stuck with just Jeff and I next time around. And we're just going to talk a little bit about um, navigating the Christmas and New Year's period. Um, how to kind of, how to navigate it. You know, what kind of um, things to consider when we're making our food choices. Um, and yeah, so that'll be out again in a few weeks time. Um, and we shall see you then.